If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you want to relive the feels on Grey's Anatomy, Hulu is here for you. But what are you waiting for? Let's go. Every episode of Grey's Anatomy is now streaming on Hulu. Seriously. Every. I'm your person. Every. Now we dance it out. Every. McDreamy. Every. McSteamy. Every Grey's ever. Now streaming on Hulu. And the new season streaming March 15th. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Melora Hardin, and I play Jan Levinson on The Office. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me again here on The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, as always, Brian Baumgartner. On the podcast today, as you just heard, we have the insanely talented Melora Hardin. Melora is an incredible actor and probably more than anyone else in the cast, acting and showbiz was in her blood. Both of her parents worked as actors and she herself started out as a child actor. She starred, she didn't just appear, she starred in a TV show called Thunder when she was 10, 10 years old. So by the time we filmed the pilot, Melora was definitely the most established performer on set. And now Melora played a kind of unique role in the ensemble, right? I mean, she was the the bigwig boss who rolls in from New York every once in a while. She's not there in every episode, but she brought so much to the show in that role, especially in terms of her dynamic 
with Steve Carell, which was so hilarious and, well, obviously something we discuss at length during this conversation. Unfortunately, because of COVID, I couldn't sit down with Melora in the studio, but even just talking to her by phone was an absolute treat for me. And so, therefore, now a treat for you. So here she is, Melora Harden. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. You know, I've tried to, as I told you before, I tried to do all these in person. I did Ricky and Steven, uh, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais the other day. You sound so much better than they do. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with well, London. That's just, because, that's just because I'm better than they are. Well, yes, obviously. <laughs> I'm going to actually, I'll send you later a picture. I am in a room totally by myself. I'm standing so that I don't catch coronavirus in this thing. Uh, I'm about three feet staring directly into a wall. It's very disconcerting, but you know. Oh my God. Um, all right, Melora, thank you so much um, for coming to talk to me here. Well, you didn't really go any. You didn't really go anywhere, but so I want to talk a little bit about you before the office. You started as a child actor, right? Yeah, I started acting professionally when I was six years old. So I was doing tons of, you know, guest starring roles. I had done, I think The Office was like my 11th pilot that I had done. I had done many short-lived series. I'd done some movies. And yeah, that's, and I'd done a little theater too. So I had heard 14, but but you just said, so the The Office was the 11th pilot that you had shot. What happened to the 10 before? <laughs> could have been the 13th the 14th I don't know you know to be honest I've done so many I mean a lot of them were like short-lived some of some of them were just pilots and then they would get canceled um some of them were short-lived series I was on quite a few series that lived for you know six episodes ten episodes uh well I did I did some shows when I was a really kid like I did a Saturday morning show for kids when I was 10 about a black stallion that came when I whistled and together we would save the day. And, and that one was ran for a series that was like 22 episodes. Right. And then, and then I did another one called Cliffwood Avenue kids, which was a syndicated show at the time when shows were syndicated. And I was nine when I did that. And that one I think was like 25 episodes. But other than that, most of the shows I did were like six episodes, you know, five episodes or just pilots that then were, that were never picked up. Right. When did you first hear about the American version of The Office? H had you seen the British version? I had never seen the British version. I'm not a big TV watcher in general. Um, and I, I remember it was, I remember it weird. And it's weird that I do remember it because I don't, you know, there were so many auditions at that time in my life that it's weird that I remember it. But I remember going over there and I remember it was sort of a last minute thing you know, usually actors are, you know, supposed to be told the night before so that they have at least a, a night with the, the material. But it was sort of one of those things where I think my agent called and said, oh, you know, we have this thing for you. They want you there at like at two o'clock today. It was like an afternoon thing. I had already been on a couple other auditions or something. 
I remember walking in, picking up the material, standing outside and working on it, um, and basically going in pretty cold and just doing it, but liking it like right away. And what was funny was that Allison, our um, our casting director, she had been, I guess, she had all, was also casting a pilot at the time that I had been in on the day before. And probably this is how this last minute audition happened, was probably through Allison, because I had been in for that and they were making a deal for me to come in to do a test for this other pilot. Wow. And um, so I went and I read cold for the office, pretty much pretty cold, but I also could, you know, just because I've been doing this as long as I, as I have, you can really feel when the room is like buzzing with what you're doing. Like everybody was kind of riveted. It was Ken Quapis and it was, you know, Greg Daniels. And um, I'm pretty sure Phyllis was maybe there, but anyway, Allison for sure. And so, yeah, I did it. And I remember everybody just kind of being, I could tell they were just kind of like, huh, they were, they were really liking, you know, liking what I did. And uh, anyway, so the next, I think it was like a couple days later or the next day, even I went in to test for this pilot and Allison came out, you know, where I was the waiting room and it was just me. And she came out and she said, hi. And I said, hi. And she goes, you were fantastic in, you know, in that audition for The Office. Now, remember, The Office was a guest star, right. possible recurring character. That's not like just for people that don't know. That's a nice thing to get. But that's not like getting a series, like a, a starring role on a pilot that could turn into a series because that's more money. And that's you know better for us as actors. Anyway, so I was like, I said to Allison, I was like, yeah, I said, that was fun. I said, well, you know, I really liked it. Like, maybe I'll get both. And she goes, uh, I really want you to get that one. I really want you to get the office. And I thought to myself, huh, okay, you know, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, she's a, she's, a, she's a pro. She's been around a long time. Right. And she knows something. You know, she knows. Like, she could tell that I think that the office was special. And um, so I basically just uh, went in. I read for the other thing. I didn't end up getting it. The pilot did get made. It did not get picked up. <laughs> and I ended up getting the office. And here we are. <laughs> wow. That's, that is crazy. And when you were originally cast, you didn't think it was a big thing. Like it was a, maybe it was going to come back. Maybe, I mean, maybe the role would come back, but, but you had no expectation for anything long-term. I didn't. I mean, you know, I, as I said, I've been doing it so long that you just, you get to where you kind of have a pretty thick skin and you're pretty wary about things. And I mean, I always tell everybody that I didn't even believe we were a hit. Um, even after we'd won the Emmy, I didn't believe we were a, a hit until we won the SAG award. And I had to walk around with that like 50 pound, you know, statue all night. And the next morning I woke up and my bicep was so sore that I couldn't lift my arm. It was like, literally I needed physical proof. And then I was like, Oh, maybe we are a hit. And it was, I just think it like hit me a lot later than anybody else in the cast, because I just was, I had done so many things that were like semi successes or, you know, I just didn't believe it. Like I just didn't believe it. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, you know, you were, uh, you know, you were the most experienced film and television actor, certainly in the pilot. And so when you showed up, did you have any sort of first impression of, of the other people in the cast? I remember thinking that it was just really well cast. I remember just feeling like, oh my God, these are just great 
characters, you know, and I, and I loved immediately. I loved working with Steve. I mean, I would say because of my experience, you can really get a sense very, very quickly of the actors that can, that can play with you and the actors that can't. And um, because all my stuff was with Steve in that first season, I really didn't work with you guys at all, really. I mean, I had no interaction with you, really, besides just glancing at you and you right. <laughs> glancing at me. But, um, but it, was like, it was like I was so relieved and so grateful and excited that whenever the cameras would roll, I felt like Steve was very playful with me um, on camera as far as just his ability to you know, give and take and just kind of be really in the moment and not get thrown by any little new thing I might throw his way. Whereas sometimes you work with more inexperienced actors and you'll do it one way and they'll go, oh, you didn't do it like that. Or they'll be like, oh, I wasn't expecting that because the last time you did it more like this, <laughs> you know, and that always just pisses me off so much because I'm always like, oh, my God, like, really? Are you kidding me? Right. We can't do it. Like, we can't do it different <laughs> and have fun and play and try new things, you know. But Steve was always just like, you know, just so ready with the bat, you know, to hit the ball however it came. And, and I think we both had a lot of fun with that. I mean, <clears throat> I would hope he would say that he did. I certainly had a great time working with him. Right. I mean, I, it, it's funny because I just started thinking about how so much, yes, as you said, especially early on, but really throughout the show, how connected you were with Steve and how so much, almost unlike most of the rest of the show, you guys played one-on-one -on -one quite a bit. So most of your experience wasn't really with the entire ensemble, again, particularly early on, but really with Steve. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And that was very interesting. Yeah, that was very interesting. I felt, you know, and I felt that I think even as time went on, there was sort of a sense of not belonging there for a long, long time. Really, I don't think I ever felt like I belonged, really. <laughs> but I think that's probably by virtue of the of the uh, the way that it was written. But I that's not to say that I didn't enjoy everybody and love everybody and feel like everybody, you know, enjoyed me. I did. I don't know. I just felt like the little, like the team, the clan, like you guys were in the office every day together. Um, you know, and I wasn't, I would pop in and out. And when I did, it was always, it was mostly that kind of more private thing, which was I, maybe by design because Dan is kind of an outsider. <laughs> right. I mean, the other thing that, that occurred to me is, you know, we've done a lot of conversation about, you know, the cast of this show and how different it was at this time and place specifically that our show started, you know, to break the mold and they really sort of leaned into these are real ordinary people who are working in an office specifically in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And it felt like to me that you, you and your character though, like maybe it was you being like a New York person, right? Like you always seemed and looked felt a little more put together, a little more, you know, which really contrasted in a way with, with everyone else who was, who was in the office. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's true. And, and I, and I remember that that was even somewhat of a, of a, of a struggle with Greg. I remember Greg Daniels um, talking a little bit about that, even with me and, and, and with the costume designer and um, with the makeup and hair people, you know, he used to say a lot, you know, like, make sure she's not too pretty. Make sure she's not, you know, like, don't dress her too well. And, you know, take, you know, take the makeup down a little or, or 
he sort of, and he grappled with, you know, why would, why would Michael be with someone that looked like and felt like Jan? Like, how would he get someone like her? And that was like, that was, I just think a thing on his radar all the time because he really wanted it to feel, you know, really real and really documentary and really like we were really peeking in on this, um, these people's lives. And I think, I think that was just always a thing for him. And he was always tracking that and he would talk to me about that. And he always wanted to know what I thought about that. Why would she be attracted to someone like that? And, and I had lots of reasons, you know, I, I, it, for me, it was easy to figure that out, but, but that's my job, you know, that's part of my job as an actor. And certainly as a working actor, for as long as I was, you have to find a way to, in your mind, justify kind of anything that that's thrown at you. So I, I, I had gotten very good at, at knowing how to how to make something that seems almost unfathomable, you know, real. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. 
Or maybe it's because Zinn is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zinn won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zinn. Find your Zinn online or in a store near you at zinn.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What do you think Jan did see in Michael? I feel like Jan was, um, you know, she was really brought up in a man's world. I think she became more masculine in her affects and her behavior than she actually was inside. And I felt like, you know, some part of her was really sort of sad about the loss of her femininity. And I feel like that that Michael's kind of puppy-like adoration of her um, made her feel more feminine and more womanly and more more like she could just be, you know, softened, softer with him. And, and I think she wasn't, I don't think she was softer with him on the outside. I just think inside his sort of like, he just wouldn't stop coming after her, even when she was a total, you know, bitch to him. <laughs> right. I think that I think that just made her feel loved and like she could let down a little bit of that masculine guard that she had learned, you know, that learned behavior. Right. Do you think that there was real love there between Michael and Jan? Yeah, I do. I think it was completely dysfunctional, but I do. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I think she, I think she didn't even know that she was in love with him. (laughs) I think she was. Right. Yeah. There's, um, it's interesting. We've been doing a lot of talking about sort of Michael's search for family and his need and desire to be loved. And, you know, for him, his landing the boss, right? Jan, the sophisticate from New York, right? Like that for him is a huge win. And I think, you know, raises himself up in his own mind. Um, but I I think it was really well said, like that she was searching, you know, she was, she was coming from a specific culture and maybe wanting something different for herself. Yeah. I mean, I think she just was really focused on climbing that corporate ladder and forgot about her 
um, her need for, you know, companionship. And I think he was all wrong in every way. And there was something that was like undeniably attractive about that for her. I think she just needed a little bit of shaking up and sort of that, that adoration that he had of her, like just, he just was so proud of, of having sex with her. He was so proud of having a relationship with her. And she was just like, you are so stupid, but, but I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He kind of liked being his trophy, even though, you know, she found him ridiculous. I think. Do you think, do you think that she had gotten to a point where she was lowering her standards? Yeah, I don't think she had standards. I think she would have, I just don't literally, I literally don't think she was thinking. I think she forgot about her love life. I think she probably, you know, had had sort of sex, very disconnected sex with like, you know, different executives that she'd worked with. But I don't feel like she really had a real relationship with anybody that was really meaningful until Michael. And I think that my instinct is that like her relationship with her father was probably pretty um, like disconnected. I mean, I think that Greg would say that, that she had lowered her standards. I don't think it was really about standards. I think she just was taken with his, um, you know, let's say Steve's, you know, description of that would be that it was more like an ego fill I don't know. I don't know what Steve would say as far as if that was Michael's ego fill to be with Jan or if he really was crazy for her. But I think the way that Jan read it was like, Jesus, I can like keep, you know, beating this dead horse and it (laughs) keeps on like it makes her feel loved. It makes her feel worthy. It's just a weird phenomenon. Right. I think Jan definitely, you know, liked it that she could curl up in his arms and you know, on the, on the bench, on the bottom of the bed where she put him and (laughs) she could cry and she could be like, I'm sorry. And he probably could be like, Oh, it was, it was nothing. I don't even know what you're saying. Sorry for, you know what I mean? Right. Right. What do you think that their relationship, what do you think that it added or, or gave to the, to the show overall? Well, I think it gave, it gave him a kind of, um, like a sexual play that I don't think he would have had uh, necessarily without right. it. And, it, you know, it was really something that Steve and, and I and, and Greg Daniels noticed in the pilot. I remember being at lunch with, with, with all of us, the three of us were having lunch together. And I remember uh, Steve and I and, and Greg all kind of saying, you know, there's some kind of an interesting spark between Michael and Jan. Like there's something about them. And we were all like, yeah, if we get an opportunity, if we get picked up, we should really have them hook up sometime at a convention or something. And we were all laughing about this idea that maybe we'd get to have them, you know, have some kind of an affair. So I think there was just a titillation that it added to the show in the same way that, you know, the Pam and Jim love story had a little bit of titillation to it. And, you know, and there were other stories that, you know, Dwight and Angela, you know, there were things that all happened over time. And I think that created that fun sort of titillation. And, and also because, because the Michael and Jan story was like, there was something really right about it, but also something so wrong. It just, it just, you know, it just, it's kind of delicious. Right. How, how much input did you have on Jan with Greg or the writers? I mean, I think I do think it was a dance. I mean, Larry Wilmore early on really loved to write Jan and he and I became friends. We're still friends. Um, 
so we used to talk about Jan a lot uh, over lunch and stuff. Greg and I talked about Jan a lot, uh, especially as seasons went on, you know, um, Greg was always curious about what I thought about, you know, what I, how I felt she might react to this or that. Um, so that was really nice. And I would say for me, again, you know, just referring back to how long I've been in the business, that was my first experience where writers were really interested and collaborative in television. Uh, and so Greg really, like, that really changed uh, for me just sort of everything that came after that, you know, just the, the feeling of that. And I, I'm not sure, I think Greg was a big, a big part of changing the way writers really are on set. Uh, on television sets. I really do think he was kind of a maverick and, and a leader in that, certainly for, for my experience, which was, you know, hefty at that time. I'd had a lot of experience and I just never had writers interacting on such an intimate way with the actors and just being on set as much as they were being, you know, being so involved and so hands-on and, and really wanting to hear from all of us. I loved that. Gosh, that was just a revelation for me. Right. I mean, often on other shows, like writers are on set to really oversee and make sure that the words are being said right or said correctly. Right. But, you know, I, I, I agree. I think here it was really about a collaboration and finding the best answers that we could to, you know, to make something funny or, you know, to make it work better, that it really was collaborative. So that was different for you. Greg was different for you. Yeah. Yeah. And all the writers. And, and, um, I mean, Mindy, Mindy Kaling wrote that, you know, wrote that episode of me singing the baby to the baby because I had just done Les Mis on, on, um, at the Hollywood bowl. And she was so blown away that I had done that. And that, you know, that I had a voice like that. And she was like, we've got to get you singing on the show and I got to find a way to do it. And, you know, and that it was just kind of neat that they were wanting to really use like what we had to give and they were, you know, finding ways to do it. I mean, you know, and they would take things that we would say and turn them into jokes. I mean, the whole, um, the whole breastfeeding the baby at the office thing for me happened, I think really because I was breastfeeding my daughter at a brunch that we had with Greg and his wife and uh, Steve and his wife at Greg's house. And I think it made it made Steve in particular uncomfortable. And I think that Greg was sort of I don't think he was uncomfortable, but I think, you know, I also felt really like very feminist about that. You know, like, you know, we can carry guns in this country, but you can't breastfeed a baby. And that's like what our boobs are for. You know, like I felt and I think I even said that at the brunch. And I think Greg just took that and was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We're doing this on the show. Uh, and I think the the Warhol thing also came, I think, similarly because of that, uh, because they came over to my house uh, for dinner with Paul Feig and his wife one night. And I have uh, a record cover that I, you know, I have a few CDs and, that I've made. And one of the record covers of my record called Purr is a painting that one of my closest friends who I've known since I was 12 years old painted for me and it's a giant painting of me with a whole bunch of kittens and it's basically a kind of a inspired by a Gil Elvgren pinup painting and we had that hanging over my couch in our old house and I remember when they came in um Greg saying something about it and me saying 
You know, what's interesting about that is that is that I wonder sometimes if people think that I think that that's like serious. Right. You know what I mean? Like if people think that like I have a painting of myself over my couch, like <laughs> I have to see myself every day in a giant painting, you know, and I was we were joking about how, you know, I think it's funny that that for me, it's like a total tongue in cheek thing, but it's also reverence of my second CD and this sort of like, you know, all these very funny tongue in cheek songs that are, you know, that are, that I wrote. And um, so for me, it's like, it's a part of a celebration of something I achieved in my life. That's part of my like passion and, you know, but it also is to me a joke. Like, I don't, I don't think of it as like, you know, like the queen's portrait. But I think he loved that so much. And we had such a long talk about it that then it showed up in the dinner party. And I just remember loving it so much. Like, oh, my God, this is genius. Like, Greg is just so good at spotting where there is an opportunity to just, you know, make a great joke about something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. How much of Melora do you think there is in Jan? Oh, my God, of course. I mean, isn't there? I mean, I think everybody, I think all my characters have me in them for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm them. They're me. Right. Um, I, I'm a lot different than her, of course, um, you know, but I think for sure, like the sexuality piece of her is like, you know, I, I brought that for sure. I don't think they would have necessarily known that Jan was that kind of I don't think they would have gotten that she was that sexual had I not been playing her. I just felt that about her and brought that to her. And I think I'm way warmer than her. And I certainly, you know way more way more conscious than she is i've done like you know way over ten thousand hours of therapy so like I, I know myself a lot better than jan knows herself um but you know but i think uh certainly there's elements of her that are me and me that are her right that would be weird if there weren't <laughs> You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not in endorsement witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You know, one of the other things I think that the show explores is this idea of the American dream, both with, you know, with love or bettering themselves, like with Jim and Pam or Michael um, and, and, you know, specifically the dinner party episode, which is, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe the best episode that we ever did. Um, to me, it, it talked very specifically about the financial strain that we as Americans were really in on at the time. So it was played for comedy, but there were, there was real stuff going on there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was an interesting time. Just even the making of that episode was, you know, was, was right during the writer's strike. So it was a very weird, it was a weird time to be making that episode anyway. Um, we had to stop. We stopped and started again, I seem to recall. Yes. Um, yeah. And we were very, it was very, very, very hot. We were in a little condo over in the valley and it was like, oh my God, it was just horribly, horribly hot. 
was like 103 degrees or something. Really? And we had to keep turning the air conditioning off so that we would, you know, for sound. So we were all in there just sweating and we couldn't really go anywhere. We literally couldn't really get away from anybody. <laughs> so whatever issues you were having, we were all having them together. <laughs> <laughs> right. You talked a little bit about this before, but what do you think Jan's dream was? I mean, some would say she, she had the American dream at that moment, right? Like she's the CEO of her own candle company and she's singing and she has a man at home that's taking care of her, right? Like, do you think that that was her dream? Um, yes. Well, I think it was sort of what she thought her dream was. Um, but obviously, you know, it obviously wasn't because she was so tortured in pursuing, maybe pursuing, you know, this idea of an ideal that she thought was going to make her happy. And, but she, but it wasn't, it wasn't making her happy because she had more to give than that. Um, and also cause she just wasn't with the right partner. I mean, ultimately Michael is definitely not, you know, he, he definitely couldn't match her. He couldn't meet her. He's not as intelligent as she is. He's not as worldly as she is. You know, he's probably not as sexual as she is. Like, like I remember one time a friend of mine telling me before I got married that there's like four things people need to look at with whoever they're potentially going to marry before they marry them. Basically, it's like physical activity. Like if, you know, one's a couch potato and one likes to hike all the time, that's not going to work out so well. And the other is religion or spirituality. You have to be kind of on the same page there. And then sexually, you have to be kind of have the same, you know, similar appetite and then intellectually, right? So it's like all those things. If you look at any of those things with Jan and Michael, <laughs> you know, they're, they're probably pretty much missing every single target. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, her like journey, I mean, on the outside, you could say that she had it all, right? She's a super successful businesswoman in New York City. And then she gets fired for that and falls apart and moves into a condo with her boyfriend, right? But then she kind of builds herself up again and she has this candle business and then she has a baby and then she eventually becomes like a big executive again for white pages. Like, I don't know, there's just something about her searching uh-huh. uh, that is just so interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's sort of... <laughs> It's the wonderful, it's the wonderful element of not enough that she's constantly, she's constantly trying to fill that void of, um, nothing is ever enough. You know, um, Michael's not enough and the job's not enough. And then the next job's not enough, not enough. And I think that I, I think I really infused her with that. That's a, just a thing I understand super well. And, and I think it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating and very funny thing to, to sort of wrap a character in sort of that cloak of just nothing ever, ever being satisfactory. And I think it's also just, I think to me, Jan is a great example of what a lot of women go through. I think people identify with her because she struggles with, I think, a common problem just in modern day society amongst women, which is this uh, this idea of not enough of what that is, you know, that what, what are we supposed to be? You know, we're supposed to be able to be moms and successful business women and great sexy partners and money earners and 
soft and beautiful and it's a real thing. And I think that Jan encapsulated that in a way that no other character on the office did. I agree. Her search the entire time was an active search for something better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, other than it being super freaking hot, <laughs> but other than that, is there any other specific memories that you have from dinner party episode? Well, first of all, I mean, one of the greatest moments of the dinner party was just a purely improvised moment where, you know, where um, I say I'm the devil and I put my hands up and just did that little devil, a little devil, um, horns on my head. And that was just something that just literally came to me in the moment and out of the moment. I didn't plan on that. I just, that was just what I was feeling like at the moment. And, and, you know, Steve just took it and ran with it. And then he was doing horns. And I think it's like literally one of the funniest. And I remember that we were, that we were like, even in the moment, we were like mad at each other and almost cracking each other up simultaneously, which I think is such an incredible line to walk that I think probably is where a lot of the sexual tension lies with Michael and Jan. Right. <laughs> it's the sort of fighting and fucking thing, you know? Um, and I just, I just think that that was just to me captured in that moment. And it was a real moment. Like the audience is seeing that exactly what happened is exactly what happened, you know? And that's sort of so, so, so fun. And so, special when you get that on television because that's like pretty rare that you get any moments like that on television that's more of like a theater experience so that yeah. was pretty cool and then I think just the amount of times that we just all couldn't hold it together I mean how much we cracked each other up and and I think that just that we were all just the discomfort of being in such a small space it being it's so hot we're like all on top of each other I mean my god we just couldn't stop laughing at like Steve, I think, must have said a hundred different versions of, you know, getting his tubes tied. Like, I don't, I mean, we just tried so many different ridiculous versions. It was great and so fun. And again, so collaborative and, you know, the writers sort of throwing things in and Steve throwing things out at this, you know, and me throwing some things out. I don't, it was just so fun. It was, to me, it's just like playing in a sandbox that whole episode. And I remember Jenna and I having, we had some scene where I just remember we couldn't, literally it was the only time on the show that I, that I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I don't remember. I think we were just so tired and hot and it was sort of the end of the night. And I think everybody was sent home and it was just she and I and where she's like in the bathroom or something. And I don't remember exactly what the scene was, but it's upstairs and I'm like, and I have to knock. And like every time I open the door, or she opened the door, we both would just burst into laughter. <laughs> and it's like, and that's a very unusual thing for me where I can't get myself together. But I think it took like, I think it took like 10 to 12 takes before I could stop laughing. <laughs> oh, it was, it was not good. It was like, it was got to a point where I was like, come on more. Like I had to slap myself in the face. You know? <laughs> well, I think, you know, a lot of people, mention it as their favorite episode as you you said before it you know it came out of a really really difficult time in our industry and the writer strike but another thing that comes up a lot is just how how incredibly cringy it is it's that and scott's tots kind of the two episodes on our show that was the most cringy and i think the moment that that represents that to me at least i don't know maybe it's as a man but the snip snap snip snap 
God. Yeah. And the idea of being forced to get a vasectomy and then get it reversed and then get another one and that it plays out in public. Um, oh my God. I know. It's so bad. And then, I mean, also the, the Asabuco that's like not even in yet. <laughs> right. Right. So good. And that everyone's been through that. Like, oh no. <laughs> we really have to do this. All right, I'm going to wrap it up soon. I do want to go back, and there was one thing that last night just, I don't know, it fascinated me. A lot of the times that you appeared, as we talked about before, you were one-on-one with Steve. But then a lot of times you were one-on-one with Steve, but you were on the phone. Can you tell me a little bit about how those scenes were actually produced? Yeah, so I would come in to set, and I would go in the other room, and we would actually record me on the phone two rooms away so that we could really have a real scene that was in the moment. Um, and I would actually be on a phone in the other room and he would be on the phone on camera and we would play the scene like that. That's so rare, right? I mean that you, you know, (laughs) right. I mean, cause normally you would shoot the scene with the person on camera and then you, if you weren't on camera, then you would be in a recording studio somewhere recording your side of it or, you know, show up at some time. But the, the humor and comedy of those scenes that were playing out, you know, really played out almost as though you were looking at each other in the room. Um, I remember you over in the annex, right? Like where Toby used yeah. to sit, you would call in from there and then you guys would get together and have notes and then you would walk back into the other room, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. I don't know. Okay. I thought that was so great. It is. It is. And it, it, it is honoring the real um, benefit of like having two actors there to, to discuss and to be, you know, we're with the writers and like with the director and, you know, we're all kind of a team and it's, it's kind of honoring that human, that human thing that I think we're all really missing right now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that human interaction that um, that none of us can have at the moment with the whole COVID-19 thing. But, yeah. but that is one of the great, you know, one of the great things about our work is that it is so human. It's so, um, it needs humans and it needs our human input and it, and it needs to be done by humans. I mean, you really can't, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you know, someday it's just going to be robots. They're not going to need actors anymore. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I think humans connect to other humans and, you know, you can make them as real as you want, but they're still not human. And, um, and, he, and we're the ones that come up with the surprising truth of, of the moment that makes it so much more hilarious or so much more poignant. Right. Because of what the writers wrote and because of how the actors, you know, find the, the truth in there. So I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot, I guess, just, just the humanness of, of what we do and, and how we really rely on connectedness, human connectivity. And, and, you know, we need each other. Like you need another actor across from you, you know, swinging the bat and hitting the ball back to you and like playing tennis. It's like, you've got to have, got to have that to make a scene fly. So um, I'm so grateful for, for that on this show. Just the, the, you know, I would say that Steve, he played the game really, really well on camera. I loved I just loved when, when they would say roll camera. I loved how we played together. I loved how free he was hitting the ball back to me and, and receiving whatever ball I threw him, even if it was a curveball here and there. He would sort of receive it with glee and 
hit it back with real fun. And I think that's just because we both have had a lot of improv in our background. And when you improvise really well, you know, you're good at like making those surprises work for you. So yeah, I think that for me, it was probably the greatest joy looking back on the office, the times of the office, just being able to play ball with everybody, you know? Yeah. What do you see as the show's legacy? Gosh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like such a phenomenon. Um, I mean, I think sort of like any great comedy that's just really memorable, you know, like the Andy Griffith show and Seinfeld and, you know, they, they were kind of doing something that hadn't really been done successfully yet. And they did it in a way that was just right, was just right. And everything about the show, you know, from the writing to the acting, to the cast, to the directors, to the producing, you know, it just was right. It just clicked. And, you know, who can ever say why? Like, I don't know why, because I think because it's so, it's really trying to be what it is. It's never not trying to be what it is. Right. You know what I mean? It was so unlike anything else that was on television or had ever been on television. And I think that is the magic of it. That's the thing that made it be able to uh, withstand this many years and this much success and this much love. Yeah. I, um, I mean, you're just so talented and you were so awesome as Jan and your thoughtfulness and, incisiveness and I, I I just appreciate you so much. So thank you so much for coming uh, to talk to me. Well, I appreciate you so much, Brian. And I and I love that you're doing this. And um, you know, I'm not really one to it's funny, I don't really I, I really wouldn't have thought of talking about this stuff unless you'd brought up the questions. So I appreciate your also your very thoughtful questions and I appreciate you including me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much to Melora for joining me. That conversation, now it gave me a whole new appreciation for the complexity of Jan Levinson. I just love diving deep into the psychology of our characters. I just love it. And also, snip, snap, snip, snap. Uh, Speaking of diving deep, next week we are kicking off another mini deep dive, this time into perhaps the most important character on The Office, the camera. That's right. We're going to discuss the camera as a character. Now, this is one of my absolute favorite things about our show, and I'm so excited to get into it even more with you guys. Until then, thank you all for listening, and, well, have a great week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Adam Macias. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund to give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 